Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 373 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I am way jazzed today to be talking to Jane Ann Krentz, the Jane Ann Krentz. And uh, she's going to blow your mind. So please stick around for this joyous, joyful, inspirational recording coming up because it was just so much fun to talk to her and kind of like a dream for me to do so. So that is on the way. What has been going on around here? Well, um, just kind of a lot of happy puttering along with work and dealing with the always problem of um, not getting enough writing done. I mean, I'm getting quite a bit of writing done, but I always want to finish everything tomorrow, you know, or everything today, get, you know, may I have an idea for a book and finish it by next week? That would be ideal. And it doesn't happen that way, unfortunately. So I've just been showing up. I've been doing my 500 words in the morning and then more words later. I am currently working on uh, what has been called the New New Zealanders. Um, I believe right now its working title is At Home instead of the New New Zealanders, which is cute, but it's there's so many people in the world who don't know where New Zealand is or what it is or, or want to read about it. But uh, this book is really about being at home, finding home. So working title is At Home. Don't know if it's going to stay that way. Um, so I've been working on that, doing my revision techniques. I've talked about it here on the show before. You can search, how do you write Rachel Heron revision? And a couple of episodes will pop up where I talk about my revision process. Um, but it's funny to be reminded over and over again that I have tools. And uh, it's funny because the 90-day classes are just about to wrap up. We've got one more week of these classes and the 90 days to done group. They're finishing their books right now. Some of them have already finished a little bit early and the 90 day revision people are finishing that first major revision. And I am looking at my book and thinking, oh my God, it's such a mess. What am I going to do? This is hopeless. Hopeless. I can never, ever do this. And then I take a breath and I go, oh yeah, all of the things I talk about with them. I can do to this book. I can just take it step by step and take apart the book and put it back together. And what I realized in doing that this week was that I had no beginning. I had not a single iota of a beginning. I It just basically starts with this decision that Lala and I make to move to New Zealand. And then the book is off and running because it was written um, as Patreon essays once a month or once every two months. So it hasn't been put together in book format and I need to put it together into book format with actual structure and character arc. And so I'm thinking deeply about those things and how to form a book from rubble, which is what we all do as writers. We form books from rubble. There are like four people who write a book from beginning to end, revising as they go and they get great books done. We are, we are not them. We are not them. We are the 99.9% of the people who cannot do that. We write Trash Mountain and then we sort it out later and make a book out of it. And I'm just kind of loving rolling around in this feeling of the rubble and also the confidence I have that I can make it a book. Because revising is 
harder than first drafting, but it's also easier because there are tools that you just put into place and you use them. Um, whereas first drafting always seems like a, a mysterious miracle to me personally. So that has been uh, very, very enjoyable. Um, some things going on in the background that I can't talk about yet, but maybe I will be able to at some point. So um, that tease has been said. What else is going on? Ah, the dog. The dog, the dog is hard. I have talked about our beloved Professor Junebug. And turns out she has pretty strong anxiety. She's reactive. We already knew that. We've been working with the trainer, trainers, trainer. I've been doing all of the protocols. I've read every single dog book under the sun. And we work with her for hours a day. And then we took her to the vet to rule out medical problems. And the vet is just like, okay, she's anxious. She's just an anxious dog. And some dogs have fear and they are anxious. And um, let's talk about medication. So we talked about medication because you know what? As a human being, I believe in medication. I used to have a real hard time with it. The very first time I ever got a true clinical depression, um, I tried so hard not to go on medication for a very long time. I tried to fix myself naturally by doing all of the things right, exercising and eating right and meditating. And it turned out that all I needed was a simple SSRI. Um, SSRIs usually kick in within three to four weeks, but I often talk about the thing that happened to me that I've heard from other people, which is, um, sure, three to four weeks, I felt so much better. I didn't feel happy, joyous, singing at the top of my lungs. Um, I just felt, I just felt like me again. I felt normal again. But that SSRI literally did kick in within three days for me. It was fully in force three to four weeks later. But in three days, I remember I caught myself singing in the kitchen. And singing in the kitchen is something I've always done. I sing along to the radio. I sing along to the Spotify, whatever is on, I sing. And I hadn't sung in so long that my voice was raspy. And that happened three days into taking SSRIs. And y'all, Junebug has been on this SSRI for three days. That said it would take three to four weeks. And I thought in my head, oh, but, but I wonder if it could take three days. And she is more mellow. She is less miserable. Not like she was... <laughs> outrageously miserable, but as soon as we would leave the front gate, she would go over threshold. Just, she, she got scared by a house last week. Literally she, you know, uh, we were, Lala was dropping a piece of food on the ground for her, you know, to bring her anxiety down to make, have her do some sniffing work. And she looked up and a house was there. She hadn't seen before and she just lost her cabbage. So the, with this medication in her body, I'm just so pleased because it's going to put her at normal dog level and make training easier. And I just have to say, I'm pretty freaking pleased so far. It's very early days. It's only three days. She could not respond well to it and we would have to change things, but um, so far so good. And I realized that my anxiety is down when I don't have a dog that is always, always anxious and fearful for no, for no reason. It's just some dogs come that way and some dogs get that way in the shelter. And she was definitely abandoned as a very young puppy and probably didn't go through her first fear period with any kind of support. Y'all, I know a lot about dogs now. Um, so it's, that's just making me feel good. Um, so that's going on personal life. And uh, ooh, we see our first world cup game tomorrow night. Yeah, tomorrow night. And uh, that's going to be fun. That'll be Spain versus Costa Rica because the FIFA Women's World Cup is in New Zealand this year. We actually have friends coming from the States to watch the games. Uh, we have tickets to three games. I care nothing about football, the footy. I don't care about soccer. Um, it's the same thing. Uh, 
but I like to watch pretty ladies on a soccer pitch. Do you call it a pitch or is that just a cricket thing? I don't know. Soccer field. It's 90 minutes. It doesn't take very long. It's not like you're sitting there for four hours at an American football game uh, or more. And it's just fun. It's fun. So we're doing that. And then on um, this weekend, we're going to have our birthday dinner out because we are tight on money and um, cross your fingers for a job for Lala. But Lala had her birthday last month and I had my birthday this month, which was sucky and I was very sick. So we have booked an expensive restaurant, you know, not outrageous, but just a nice fancy restaurant. And we rarely go out to eat because we're still very COVID cautious. And we're going to do that. We're going to go to this fancy restaurant and have a fancy dinner. So I'm really looking forward to this week's fun things happening surrounded by a less anxious dog and a Rachel who's getting work done um, and a and a Rachel who's really enjoying watching her students figure out their best practices, their best methods for getting their work done. It just feels very joyful. And um, yeah. So anyway, let's jump into the interview because I know you can't wait for this. Oh, Jane and Kretz. Jane and Kretz. Here's a bio. Jane and Kretz is the author of more than 50 New York Times bestsellers. Let's just let that sink in. 50 New York Times bestsellers. She has written contemporary romantic suspense novels under that name and futuristic and historical romance novels under the pseudonyms Jane Castle and Amanda Quick, respectively. Jane lives in Seattle, Washington, and Sleep No More is her most recent novel. Please, I don't have to beg you to enjoy this interview. You're going to love it. Um, but I will beg you to do a little bit of writing. Just a little bit. 15 minutes. It's not going to hurt you. 15 minutes can change your life. So please do that. Come tell me about it and enjoy this interview. Here we go. Do you have a book you want to get out into the world? Do you feel overwhelmed with which way to go with it? Should you hire an editor? Should you search for an agent? What goes into being traditionally published? Should you think about self-publishing? What kind of marketing will you have to do? How much does all of this stuff cost anyway? So my class, How to Publish in Today's Market, will answer all your questions. It'll soothe your worries, and it'll give you a roadmap for moving forward. This is the same workshop I've taught at Stanford and UC Berkeley, and with more than 20 up-to-date modules and my own down-to-earth yet enthusiastic encouragement, you'll be able to make the best decisions for your publishing career. It's currently 50% off for listeners of the podcast. Just go to rachelherron.com slash publish. You'll get immediate access and all the answers you've been looking for all in one place. That's rachelherron.com slash publish. Go check it out. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome you to the show today. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? I'm Jane Ann Krentz. Pronouns or whatever work for you is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you normally um, you go by she, her? Yeah, she, her. Um, Perfect. And a couple other names. That's why pronouns yes. are the least of it. Because <laughs> you have... A, uh, you have like a backlist of names as well that you have been writing under. And I have to um, confess to you that I, I think I first saw you speak at an RWA national, maybe, I don't know, 10 or 10 or 12, 15 years ago. And you just knocked me out with the way that you talk very realistically about how this is a job and how we get our job done. And when the job gets hard, we do something else and we pivot and we pivot. And I feel like you are a master of the pivot. Would you agree? Well, I like to call it reinvention because it's more than just turning around. It's like 
finding a new identity. Um, and I think anybody who survives in this business doing what we do as writers has to be able to figure, step back and reinvent themselves when the time comes. And if you stay in this business for any length of time at all, sooner or later, you will have to reinvent yourself. Yeah. I think it happens almost everyone. Yeah, I'm reading that new, uh, newish uh, Haruki Murakami book about being a novelist. And he says that novelists have this certain thing, like they're kind of like prize fighters in the ring and they're doing, you know, they're fighting and they see a new kid come with their new book and they really welcome them. And if they're still here in 20 years, we'll be impressed. You know, there's no, they're not threatened because most of them will fall away. And, um, and I see that and you have never fallen away. You have always done this reinvention. So your most recent book is sleep no more, which is a thriller. Um, it's going to be a trilogy, right? Is that right? Yep, Start of a trilogy. Yeah. About things, heroines, cup heroines who are, have a podcast. So <laughs> what a yep. coincidence. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. That's, that's, that's a genius premise. Um, in your, so you're still writing in your three, three names. Is that correct? Yeah. Down to three. And I'm sticking with three. Um, I, I will just hand, take a moment here to do a public service announcement. If there are writers out there in the audience who are thinking of taking a pen name, don't go there. I'm telling you, this is not a good idea. Um, and the long and the short of it is in this social media driven world, you're going to have a real tough time building three brands. And that's what it comes down to because nobody's going to remember your other names. I don't care if it's on the back of the book in the bio section, nobody remembers and you're going to end up with three careers and it's very hard to support three careers in social media these days. So that's my advice, take it or leave it, but I've been there and done that. (laughs) I absolutely love that you say that because I I have written almost 30 books in five verse, uh, going into six genres now and they've all been, except for the thrillers they, they wanted under my initials. So Rachel Heron went to RH Heron, but otherwise I've just feel like I've, I feel like I've screwed that up by never separating, but I'm going to take the win, right? <laughs> Although I've confused my readers for years. Um, can you tell us about your writing process? I would love to hear about your writing process on the day itself. What does a writing day look for you, look like for you? And then also I would like to say, I would like to ask, how does that change when you're writing in under your different names? If it does. The process doesn't change because for me, it's still my voice and I, I still need whatever I need to write. And the other thing that probably dictates most of my writing is that I'm basically a morning person. So, and I think, I think a lot of writers divide into one or two groups, you know, morning or morning or night, and you're stuck with it. Um, mine may have kicked in because when I first started out, I had a day job. And I was getting up at three and four in the morning to write. So that's maybe that just became a habit. I don't know. Anyhow, I'm stuck with it. I no longer get up at three in the morning. I will say that. <laughs> um, but I am a I am up at five and I'm at the computer by seven. And that's that until noon will be my my heavy lifting writing time, I think. Until noon. And then in the afternoon you do yeah, in email the kind of stuff or other stuff. In, I'm always distracted by email. I, I could say I was very disciplined and I never went to the computer until after lunch, but that's that would be a total lie. Sometimes you just need a break. You need to walk away from a scene and that's a great 
a great distraction. Um, but in the afternoons, work-wise, I'm more likely to do research or um, the social media stuff, which we're all stuck with these days. Nobody, nobody gets out of this without doing their own social media. And, um, you know, just, just to kind of, you know, go through page proofs, uh, edit, you know, that kind of work. That's more afternoon for me. So you are so prolific. Are you a plotter or a pantser? Where do you fall on that spectrum? Probably a bit of both, but I, I think of myself as a pantser because I start out with a good idea that I, I know exactly where I'm going for the first three chapters. And after that, everything is very vague. I just have a premise that I'm working with and I keep spinning back to that premise, trying to figure out what to do with it and how to use it. And, and it, I think my main problem is that I'm not a very good plotter and I don't do well trying to outline the whole book in advance. Um, I just can't do it. I think differently when I'm actually writing. And I think for some of us, the key to remember is that your most creative side comes out when you're actually in the act of creating yeah. and plotting is a different kind of creation. It's, it's a creation, but it's not the same thing as, um, as getting into the story emotionally and writing it. And that's where I get my best ideas. And that's unfortunate <laughs> because it makes my life more complicated. It would be nice to have all the good ideas up front. I am exactly, exactly like you. Do you have, cause I like the nitty gritty stuff. Do you normally have a word count goal for a the day or are you a butt in share kind of like you count hours or how does that work? Yeah, I don't cut, count hours, but I do kind of shoot for a word count of about a thousand words. Um, I'm satisfied if I can get a thousand words a day and some days it doesn't happen. Some days I'm on a roll and I just keep going and it's great. But um Overall, when I think of how long I'm going to estimate to write this book, I, I think in terms of a thousand words a day. How about you? Do you do it? Do you have a word count? Or I normally I normally do out of out of panic. I I have a I have my brain is incredibly talented at knowing if I have five months to write you know this draft or whatever, I will wait until the very last second to start it. And then like, I think my real pain, my pain threshold is at 2000 words a day. If I need to write two, more than 2000 words a day, I will die. So I need to keep it under that amount. <laughs> that sounds like me. I think we're, I think we're two in a, two in a pod there on that one. That's my very similar just, to my, my brain breaks down and I could do more. And the next day I will be, you know, jello. I won't, I won't have a brain at, at all to work with. So I've learned not to, destroy myself that way Isn't that you funny have... how... yeah that's funny how that works if, if you can you're on a roll you don't quit and the next day where did it all go <laughs> it's it's just gone i need it needs to it needs to refill do you have a lot of revision to do um when you're done with a draft or are you kind of revising as you go after the first well i do a lot of back and forth as i go so i i, I cannot even tell you i mean how many times I back and forth. I'm sure you're the same way because it sounds like we write a lot of the same way. Um, but at the end of the first draft is when I finally know where I'm actually going. Yes. And at that point, I've got a vision of the book and that's my relief point. And when I've got the vision of the book and I know, okay, there's a book here. I know this story. I can tell this story. Then I go back to the beginning and go through it. And that revision is probably the, the, re the most substantial because by then I'm working with all the stuff I didn't bother to fix in <laughs> at the front of the book. Um, 
And then at then at the end of that, I am ready for more fine tune, you know, just craft kind of edits and stuff after that. Yes. Apparently we write exactly the same way. That second draft is the heaviest lifting I'll ever do for a book. Even if my editor comes back and says, everything about this is wrong, tear it apart. It's still not going to be as big as it was when I did that second draft of making the book into the book. I finally realized it was by getting to the end of it. It's part of having the, it's, it's when the vision comes together. It's when you finally see where, what you got. And you can take that breath and go, okay, there is a book. Cause I'm never sure until that point. <laughs> what is your, every time I, every time I sit down, it's like, okay, Jane, you've done this before. <laughs> you can do it again. <laughs> but it's, I have to kind of think about it. Cause when you're starting a book, you know how it is. And it's like this huge project um, that sets out ahead of you. And it's like, oh, you're exhausted before you even start, even though you're excited to start. But uh, I think the key to that that I have learned over the years is to think in terms of scenes. Each scene is a little story within the big story. And each scene has a beginning, a middle and an end. So there's a certain kind of satisfaction when a scene pulls together. And that's how I get through, you know, 80 or 90,000 words is by scene thinking in terms of little scenes. Oh, I love I love that. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? I think the biggest challenge is just figuring out the new plot. Um, You know, my characters are my characters. If you like my characters, they're not going to be a whole lot different in the next book uh, because characters for me are built on core values that they have, um, worldviews that they have, um, outlook on life that they have. It's, I think we all do, at least our, our, our protagonists are, are, are the characters who, who project our values and our core theories and stuff of the world. So they, they're not going to change a lot, but in the characters in my historicals will have the same value set as the characters in my futuristics and my contemporaries. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about freshening up the story with a new plot, something. And after you've written as many books as I have, that gets tricky trying to, because, because it has to be something that I'm excited about. So essentially I'm looking for something that it gets me excited first. And then I just hope to heck that everybody else can enjoy it too. Is that how it is for you? Do you are you looking a, for? It's exactly the same. And, and I disappoint myself sometimes when I actually do come up with a new plot. And then I realize I have written almost exactly the same thing before. And I have written nowhere near as many books as you have. Um, but I love what you say about the, the that's a, it's a level of relief that I think it took me a long time to get to because I was always trying to create a new character that I hadn't written. And then I realized I didn't want that. When I go back to the writers that I love, I want to see that character again and again in different forms and guises and, and, and circumstances. But I read for that core story and that core character. That's why we go back. That's why we read. I I swear that's how most people read, but they don't even know it. And you can fool them so easily with with a different plot. And I it, I always like to point out that mystery writers and suspense writers have been getting away with this for years because they just start a series with the same core characters and 30 years later, you know, they're still yes. writing the same hero. Um, and and it, nobody has a problem with that. It's like, oh, this is what they go for. Um, and all that's really changed along the way are the plots. And essentially, I think that applies to most fiction writing. Oh, that is so clever and such a, such a relief to hear. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? 
that moment when I've got the whole vision. Yeah. When I, so it's, I'm working toward it all the time. And, and sometimes on a daily basis, I, I do get a lot of satisfaction when a scene comes together, but there's nothing like that feel that, you know, the story works and regardless of what anybody else ever says, you know, it's, it's there and you've got it. And because I think I suspect you'll agree with me because we are so much alike in this regard, but I think we all write for ourselves first. I mean, think, why did you even start writing? It was like something inside has to get, be expressed. Well, that's writing for yourself. So you're telling the story you want to hear. And when that story is what you want, the way you want it, that's a great moment. Um, this is my story. <laughs> it's the best moment. It's it's just the best. Would you be able to share a craft tip of any sort with us? Um, well, I've got a couple for writer's block. I'm not, yes, please. And, I, and I don't I don't speak this because I don't think every any two people experience quite the same writers. It's not it's not the same for everybody. But the first thing I would have you do is is make sure, step back and ask yourself if you're just bored with your story. Writer's boredom could easily become writer's block. I've been there. I've been bored with my own story. Um, The next thing I think for writer's block is if you're really stuck, chances are you have some concept of the ending in mind. Maybe not vague and murky, but um, you you knew you had a start here and you knew at some point there's going to have to be an ending that incorporates everything you got at the start. Um, You might try just jumping ahead and writing an ending, not necessarily the one you're going to be finally Mm. uh, satisfied with, but writing an ending will suddenly crystallize everything that needs to come before. And that I, I have used that technique more and more often. My friend, Christina Dodd, who writes suspense, um, turned me on to that. And by golly, it it has really worked to get, when I get finally write those first three chapters, four chapters, and I'm kind of running out of steam. And now the big middle of the book is coming up. um, I jump ahead and write something of an ending. It doesn't have to be the whole thing or anything, but just, just enough to kind of focus you. And I had an interesting conversation with a screenwriter, a woman who teaches screenwriting, actually. And she said it's the same way for script writing. Um, screenwriters often jump ahead, write the ending, just to figure out what they're going to put in the middle of the movie. I'm going to try it with my next book because I, I that makes so much sense in my head and I'm always so rigidly controlled and, you know, I know that I don't have to write in order, but I am a linear person. And that just sounds delicious, like a delicious trick. To, I find to it try. very creepy. Yeah. If I, I could I really... back up to you, to where you asked yourself, um, it, are you bored? If the answer is, am I bored with my writing? What do you, what do you do in that, in that moment? Odds are at that point, your trouble is the plot something you can actually look back at intellectually and uh, maybe because you have written too close to it before and you essentially told that story to yourself, you're bored with it. Mm. Um, so it's, I, I'd look first at trying to perk up the plot, find, find something. All you really need is an element of something that makes you ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um 
if if you're curious, then you've got it. If you find start one, and one way to get at that sometimes is to actually interview the characters hmm. and interview them. If you write on a computer, interview it the way you would write their story if you were actually dictating it right now. Um, not in your head, but something you can physically see and look at. And when and then the logic is in front of you because you're actually writing down the words that each of you are saying. Um, and that I have found helpful. That can often, why am I even here? You know, why is this, why the right. care, the hero has, has to have answers for that. And when you start asking those questions, my experience is you can regain your own interest in the story and find something for you to grab onto. Yes. And it's that benevolent lie we're telling ourselves of, I'm, I'm not figuring it out. I'm going to let my character help me figure it out. And then our subconscious swings in to action and says, okay, well, you're calling on me. I'll, I'll help out a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think it's just when you ask another question of a human being, you, you're curious, you know, yeah. and so it's a fictional character, but, and so you have to make up his story. That's what's kind of, that's how I think it works. Um, that's when your subconscious or your plotting ability or the creativity kicks in because now you I put my character in this in this situation why why would he be there and at that point you start thinking a little differently oh oh I'm I'm actually in this weird liminal between novel state right now and you're making me jones for a little bit of fiction um may I ask you what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career uh, so many, so many kindnesses, um, usually from friends, you know, I really strongly recommend that if you're out there and you're writing, get involved with other writers, you know, join a writer's group that works for you, um, hook up with some friends, because you're really going to need them in this business, because sometimes, you know, the business is tough. Mm -hmm. And when times get tough in writing, all you've really got to turn to are your friends for encouragement. And um, I remember, for example, I was in a situation where I didn't think I should use that plot device again, even though I thought I could make it look different. I wanted to use it again. It was exciting to me. And I called up Susan, my, Susan Elizabeth Phillips, who's a friend of mine. And I said, I'm afraid the editor is going to say, I did this before. And she said, no, because it'll look different. Trust your gut. Trust your voice. And I did. And it flew right by. It was, <laughs> I think the key is if you're excited about it, nobody notices yeah. that it was a similar plot point that you used before. Yeah. And I've actually heard both of you in conversation together at conferences and, and the way that you, the way that you talk to each other in front of people. I imagine, you know, it's even, of course, more personal, but, but I can just feel the sparks fly off of you when you're talking writing together. It's don't ever miss that people. If you ever get an opportunity to hear these women in conversation, you need to go there. What is the kindest thing that you've ever done for yourself or as a writer? Um, I don't know. Well, kindness, it was the most practical thing I ever did for myself was figure out my core story. Um, my advice once again, to anybody out there is you don't have to know your core story intellectually. You can write intuitively your whole career and you may get away with it, but I didn't. And I suspect it doesn't always work for everybody for more than a decade. <laughs> um, but knowing your core story 
frees you because it lets you know you can take it anywhere. And the trick is to figure out that your core story is about the emotional themes and conflicts that compel you to write in the first place, Mm -hmm. not the plots, not the setting. It doesn't matter. Here's an example. Mm -hmm. I, I had pretty well deep sixed my Jane Ann Krentz career. I could not get a contract under that name because I'd written my, I'd written, well, it was the three first, the first three futuristics that I ever wrote. And there was just no market for it. But by the time everybody realized there was no market for it, my career was in the toilet. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I had to reinvent myself yet again. It wasn't the first time. But at that point, I realized if I want to keep working, I've got to find another place for my for my story. And what am I really trying to say here? And what I'm really trying to say here is a story that involves two people having to learn to trust each other, mm-hmm. taking the risk of trust. At the same time, having to reinvent themselves for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So my core story I would describe as all, if you look at any of the books I've written over the years, there's always trust issues that I'm dealing with and reinvention. And once you realize that that's what you're, that's what you're selling, that's what you're marketing, that's what you want to write, those are universals. Um, a lot of people have a core story about redemption. Um, a lot of people have a core story about healing, um, a core story about self-discovery, um, a lot of YA features coming of age issues. Um, those are those are core stories and you can take them into any genre. Any genre, any, any time, um, any, any time frame. Yeah. My, mine is a, uh, emotional connection in found families, often with a very maternal leaning. Um, yeah. excellent. And, I and that's a powerful anywhere. story. Yeah. And that's a yeah. powerful story that can go anywhere. Yeah. Oh, and, and when cool. I say any genre, I mean, I mean, I'm including the literary genre because it's a yeah. genre too. It has its own conventions and tropes and things that are accepted and not accepted within it. Um, and that story fits there. It's like mm-hmm. it would fit in, in romance or in women's fiction. So mm-hmm. yeah, find your core story. I found it very helpful. That's lovely. Lovely, Jane. Thank you so much. What is the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it? Oh, um, yes, I brought it along. I am really, really enjoyed Sarah Penner's, um, the London Seance Society. What a gorgeous cover. She, yeah, it is. She has a really, for me, a really compelling storytelling voice, which I think is just fundamental. I don't care how good the story is. If the voice isn't there, the writer, or it doesn't appeal to you, um, I'm not going back. But I will look for her books in the future. And this is a, the the setup is priceless. So (laughs) the London Seance Society is, of course, a bunch of fakes, you know, charlatans, (laughs) charlatans who are set in Victorian uh, London where when it was really hot, you know, to give seances and stuff like that. And now there's been a murder within the society. So who do you call to solve the murder within a society of people who all claim to speak to the dead and they call a real medium? <laughs> it's, I, it's a sign great- me up. I will be <laughs> leaping over to get that book. 
Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Speaking of phenomenal books, will you please tell us about your most recent book, Sleep No More? Oh. Sleep No More, thank you for asking, um, is the first of a trilogy featuring three women who showed up at a job site for new jobs. They were going to help renovate an old hotel. They walked into the lobby and they don't remember anything until they woke up the next morning in a medical lab. The place is on fire and there's been an earthquake. They barely, <laughs> make, it out. They barely make it out alive. And they have no idea what happened to them, but now they have paranormal talents. And so they fire up the podcast called The Lost Night Files. And by sheer coincidence, that is the name of the series. Sleep Book No More is the first book in The Lost Night Files. Um, and they fire up a podcast which is basically a true crime podcast and they look for other stories like their own. They're trying to find out what happened to them. So there's three books, each heroine, each character gets, gets a story. That is catnip. I want it so much. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you for writing it. Thank, thank you. you for being amazing. And um, just an incredible role model for me over the years, even though you didn't know it. And I just, I really, really appreciate you. We're both here. We're both here. Congratulations. Still in the, still in the ring. Not- eh? <laughs> <laughs> I always say you're only as good as your next contract. I mean, this if, if you're yeah. still selling books, you're in the business. Yeah. 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 I always say that as long as I'm, as long as I'm writing books that I'm, I'm, I I always want to be more proud of the book I've just written than the one before it. And I don't care if it doesn't sell at all. My last book didn't sell at all, but it's the best book I've ever written. So that's a success. Which was that? Which one? That was, uh, that was called Hush Little Baby. Yeah. And do you have a theory about why it didn't work? I don't have a theory about why it didn't sell. Um, See, I think it's just the market. I think it's the I market. Think we, we, we were, uh, I had some real ups and downs in, in during the pandemic. Um, and it's, it was just playing, playing with our heads that. <laughs> yeah. And that one came out think, right mid pandemic in hardcover. So um, that was a bad time for hardcovers because um, I mean, well, for one thing, the stores were all closed. Yeah. I mean, either Amazon or nothing really. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it was a tough time. So if I were you, I would get it reissued with a new cover and let yep. it fly. Yep. And, and forget about it and write the next one, which is paranormal. So that's, that's all. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here, Jane. I so appreciate you. And this was fantastic. Oh, where can we find you online, please? Uh, JaneAnnKrentz.com. Jane with a Y. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelherron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelherron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.